Welcome to the 48th episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today we are doing a full breakdown of UFC Fight Night Yair Rodriguez versus Max Holloway. After that, we're going to talk about some fight news and some fight announcements that have happened recently, and a lot of that is going to be centered around the welterweight division. So if you're interested in that, that will be in the news section, and we're going to end it off by looking forward to next week's fight card, which is headlined by Misha Tate and Ketlin Vieira. So to get it started straight off, we're going to talk about Max Holloway and Yair Rodriguez. Now, Max Holloway... And Yair Rodriguez went in there and put on an absolute war. This is, I think, a month in a row now. We've had absolute wars for main events. And Yair Rodriguez and Max Holloway did not disappoint. Now, this fight was a lot closer than a lot of people expected. And I am one of those people. I thought that Max Holloway was going to go out there and get a 50-44 or a 50-43 unanimous decision victory. Now... Yeah, Rodriguez proved me and a lot of other people wrong. He won at least one round, I think, and um, you can make a case he won two rounds. Whether he won, won one or two rounds at the end of the day doesn't really make that big of a difference, but he won a round, which is something not many people expected him to do based off some of the performances we've seen from Max Holloway recently. And I was really impressed with Yeah Rodriguez's game plan. His game plan of kicking that leg, that lead leg of Max Holloway, was a tremendous game plan. Um, It really, one of the biggest critiques that you could have of Max's striking is that when someone is landing a low kick consistently, it's going to really, really mess with his rhythm. And I think that is what we saw early. When you look at guys like Kelvin Cater, Kelvin wasn't landing a lot of leg kicks, and Max was able to find a rhythm early and dominate that whole fight now when you look at the fights with Volkanovsky and the first fight especially um, Max absorbed a lot of leg kicks Uh, the second fight was not quite as many the story the story of that fight wasn't as much leg kicks and Max was a lot closer to winning that fight and you could make the case that he did win that fight so Max or for so yeah Rodriguez recognized that And he utilized the low kicks very well. Now, um, he was able to use those low kicks to set up some higher kicks, to set up some body kicks, to land some head kicks even. Um, Problem being is that Max Holloway might be the hardest fighter in the UFC to knock out. Uh, For whatever reason, Max has a ridiculous chin and he was able to absorb a lot of big strikes from Yair. And... Um, whether that be a head kick, whether that be a couple really nice one-twos, whether that be the elbow that Yair landed, uh, Max Holloway absorbed a lot of big shots here. And I think that is something that he needs to uh, fix in the future. And just because you can take shots doesn't mean you need to. And I think that's something that you know he knows. That's not something that is a um, wild critique that, you know, is coming out of left field that's you know pretty common thought and despite all that Max Holloway put on a tremendous performance and what I like so much about this performance is that Max Holloway utilizes utilized some skills that he hadn't had to utilize in a significant amount of time and that's his offensive wrestling and I don't want to say he had 
to use the wrestling. Um, but he was, you know, he lost the first round, pure striking. And when he started to implement some wrestling, the fight really started to move in his favor. He landed some good ground and pound strikes that really cut Yero open and really bruised him up. Now, um, I don't want to say that Max Holloway had to do that to win, but it made his path to victory much, much easier. You know, you can stand on the feet and let Yair chop away your lead leg, or you can go for a takedown and, you know, control, you know, I think he controlled a good portion of the third round and the fourth round on the ground. And that's not something we usually see Max Holloway do, but it's something that he needed to do to get an easier win in this fight. And good on him for going and doing that because a lot of guys wouldn't swallow their pride you know when you build up this um, name of being the best boxer in the UFC a lot of people would be apprehensive to go for a takedown after building that brand you know but Max Holloway wasn't which is something that I respect and I think the grappling has probably been a has probably been a higher emphasis in his training camps um, I imagine and when you look at the second fight, um, one of the big reasons that Volkanovski won that fight was because he was able to secure a late takedown there. I believe it was the fifth round. I haven't watched that fight in a long time. But, you know, um, the wrestling is really what propelled Volkanovski to win those final rounds and win those championship rounds and walk away with a victory. So I imagine that that has been something that Max has worked on recently, and it showed it in this fight, and it paid off for him very well. Now, both of these guys are in pretty good positions moving forward. Um, I don't think that because Yair lost, he uh, dropped any stock at all. I don't think anyone is thinking lesser of Yair Rodriguez after this performance. I would say that he has impress people despite the loss now for Max Holloway he has a lot of tremendous options and for me um, I think we need to see the Volkanovski trilogy fight and I say that because these two guys are very clearly the best and second best featherweights in the planet uh, Max Holloway went out there and beat two contenders and you know one of those was probably good enough to get him a uh, title shot just off the Kelvin Cater performance. And he decided to risk it and go with Yair Rodriguez instead, coming off an injury as well. Um, the first fight was canceled because of an injury. So um, the second attempt at going at Yair, he's coming off an injury as well, which makes his performance even more impressive. So I think Max has earned that right to a title shot. Um, regardless of, you know, if you want to see that, you know, a lot of people don't really want to see that because we've already seen it twice, but I think some context matters here. If Volkanovski would have finished Max in both those fights, I think that this fight wouldn't make sense regardless of how well Max was performing. However, when you consider the fact that one was a pretty straightforward unanimous decision for Volkanovski. The other was a fight that is 3-2 for either guy you could score that. And I think the conflict of who won that second fight 
makes this a third fight a lot easier to book. And the other reason that I want to see Max Holloway take on Alexander Volkanovsky is I don't want to see Max juggle two weight classes. Uh, we saw him do that before. He went up and took on Poirier, and he lost that fight. And in that fight, you see that there's a big, big difference in terms of the power between these two guys, right? And I think that's probably the largest reason that Max lost that fight. If Max goes up to 155 and takes on a Connor, you know, I think Connor would be an easier matchup for Max than a Poirier would be based off Connor's, you know, I don't want to say Connor has bad cardio, but Connor has, you know, average cardio at best. And Max is, you know, one of the, the best in that department of all time. And I think Max Holloway raining down, you know, a 20-piece combo on Conor McGregor would do bad things to Conor. So I think a Conor matchup would be easier than a Poirier matchup. However, um, regardless, if, you, if you're if you Max Holloway and you move up to 155, I think you need to commit to 155. I don't want to see, you know, Max go up to 155 and take on Conor and then come back down to 145. Because you're not going to be able to gain any size. I think that the move to 155 provides you with a safety net if you lose to Volkanovski a third time. If Max Holloway move, loses to Volkanovski a third time, we will never see that fight again. You know, you just can't make that fight with two guys who, when, when one of them has won, all three fights. It really just doesn't make any sense at that point. And then if you're Max and you lose to Volkanovski a third time, you can bump up to 155. But you, the biggest thing is Max has to take the time and put on some body mass um, to kind of increase his power and you know make his power to something where those 155 pounders have to respect. So um, if we see Max move to 155, I want it to be a full commitment. And, you know, could he do that now without pursuing the Volkanovski trilogy? I guess so. But I think that would close the door on featherweight for Max Holloway. And I wouldn't be opposed to, you know, Max taking on Volkanovski. Win or lose, he moves to 155. Or maybe he does Volkanovski. And, the you know, the real question here is, if Max beats Volkanovski in the trilogy, what becomes of the fourth fight? Because if Max beats Volkanovski, the guy with the belt would have two losses to the number one contender. Do you run that back for a fourth time? And then if Max wins again, you know, do you run it for a fifth time? Because now they're 2-2. So it gets to the point of, you know, at what point do we stop this? And I think this is going to stop when Max Holloway moves up to take uh, when he moves up to 155, I think this move is going to come eventually. However, before we see that move, like I said, I think we need to see uh, Max Holloway versus Alexander Volkanovsky. And either way, after that fight, Max is going to have options moving forward. So that is something that I am looking at for Max. And then for yeah, year, I think this is pretty easy. And let's take note of this, that Yair does have, you know, something wrong with his foot, right? After the fight, the foot was very swollen. And could it be broken? Yes. Is it likely that it's broken? 
yes. Now, um, usually when we're in that scenario, I say, we'll wait, let them recover, and then we'll talk about booking them later. However, in this case, I don't, you know, think that is necessary. I think we can book Yair Rodriguez right now, and I think that opponent should be Brian Ortega. This makes sense for many, many reasons. First of all, you've got Brian Ortega, who is coming off a loss to the champ, Alexander Volkanovsky, and you've got Yair Rodriguez, who is coming off a loss to Max Holloway. The, the undisputed two best featherweights in the world, number one and two, Volkanovsky, Holloway, and the, the losers pair them up with each other, Ortega, Rodriguez. And from there, you, you, you have Brian Ortega, who is not going to fight soon, right? Brian Ortega took a lot of damage. He's going to take some time off. Yeah, Rodriguez needs time off. Um, I think Ortega versus Rodriguez is the fight to make. I don't think this fight happens anytime soon. That's not what I'm saying. This fight might be in July of next year. It could be in October of next year. I don't think we're going to see either of them in action relatively soon. But I think that's the fight when they're both ready that you need to make. And if you really want to put a cherry on top of that, you have another fight night card in Mexico City and have Brian Ortega versus Yair Rodriguez. One guy who lives in Mexico, I believe Yair lives in Mexico, um, I might be mistaken on that, but both guys who are Mexican, um, I think that would be a tremendous thing in terms of the UFC wanting to spread their global appeal, and I think that would be a very, very strong move to make for the UFC, and I think it would be electric and would be a tremendous fight, and if you want, in real, in you know, you could do a pay per view in Mexico City and have it headlined by Moreno, assuming he is still the champ. You could have you know another title fight maybe, and you can have this be a five rounder on the card. There's a lot of good options here um, for that Brian Ortega and Yair Rodriguez bout. Moving on, we have got Ben Rothwell in the co-main event against Marcos Rod Rodriguez. Nice. Against Lima, right? Now, this is a situation. You know what? First of all, first of all, Lima had a tremendous performance here, and he beat up Ben Rothwell bad, right? Give him the credit before we start, you know, to tear into the officiating. Um, but give, give Lima his credit. Great performance. Now, the... The number one thing here that we're seeing is officials. Now, this is not to pick on Herb Dean, but this is an officiating problem that I think we see often. The official has to, has to be decisive, right? You can't play this, oh, oh, I'm going to stop it. Oh, not going to stop it. Or you can't do the, oh, did you get eye poked, you know? Let me wait and see if the fighter reacts. You know, if you see an eye poke, step in, stop the fight, or you know, break the action. If you see if you see a a strike to the groin, step in, stop the action. If you are gonna stop the fight because someone's getting beat up, stop the fight. Don't play this game where we hop in, you know, to see if someone reacts. You know, just stop the fight because not stopping the fight. And doing this thing where you touch somebody, if you touch some, for example, 
if this if this scenario would have played out differently and Herb Dean runs in and grabs Lima by the waist and then Ben Roth and he stops and Ben Rothwell, you know, lands a big right hand and knocks Lima out. He didn't know the fight was ended. He only touched Lima. So, you know, that would have been chaos. So we just have to make sure that officiating is decisive. If you're going to make a call, make the call with your chest. And I think that would solve a lot of the problems that we're seeing from officials. And I think for the most part, we have a lot of good officials in this sport. And most of the time, we just see small mistakes that have big consequences. And I think that kind of lowers the opinion of referees in general. But, you know, Herb Dean, is, Herb Dean isn't a bad official. He just made a mistake here. And that mistake, you know, in this scenario wasn't very costful. And other scenarios that could have presented major problems. So moving forward, just be decisive. That's all I've got to say about that. Now, we are going to skip over the women's featherweight fight of Felicia Spencer and Leah Lutzen. Um, really, all that happened was Felicia Spencer dominated. And, you know, I don't like talking about this women's featherweight division because it seems like that division is going to, you know, disappear when Amanda Nunes retires. So in three weeks or, you know, in, in if if Amanda Nunes retires in December, which is, you know, a month away and, you know, this division is poof. So I'm not going to sit here and, and speculate about the women's featherweight division um, just for it to get cut. So no sense in that. Now at welterweight at ooh ooh stutter at welterweight we had Miguel Baeza versus Chaos Williams. Now this fight was a fight I was looking forward to. I'm, I like I really like both of these guys. Chaos Williams is a terrific fighter to watch. A very powerful guy. Miguel Baeza also very powerful guy and someone who got off to a hot start ten and zero. Top prospect in that welterweight division. They put on a really, really good fight, and Cass Williams eventually landed the big shot to put Baeza away. Both of these guys, um, very, very talented. I know Baeza has two losses in a row, but I think this is a scenario where you've got a talented guy and you just need to slow down, you know, who you just need to slow down who they're fighting. You know, just slow down the level of competition. Chaos Williams is, you know, a tough fight for just about anybody. And to put in someone like um, like Baeza is, can, you know, you just got to slow it down is what I'm saying here. Uh, moving forward for both of these guys, both of these guys are going to put on fun fights, going to put on strong performances. So where do, we, where do we go with them? I'd like to see Chaos Williams against, you know, another scrapper, like a Nico Price, like a Tim Means, maybe a Randy Brown, um, you know, someone of that caliber. And for Miguel Baeza, like I said, slow it down a little bit. Um, it all depends. You know, a lot of these guys here, I'm looking at the world rankings, and, you know, um, a lot of these guys you don't or that are around Baeza, you don't really know you know, what their future holds, like, um, for example, Cerrone, Matt Brown, you know, where are we going with these guys in the future? James Krause, you know, um, is still fighting, but he's also very serious about coaching 
or Cowboy Oliveira, where are we going with some of these guys? So, you know, you don't really know what you could, I don't know what you could do with him. But I think we need to see a drop in competition because he's still a talented guy that we shouldn't throw in the absolute mix quite yet. Um, but keep him on the UFC roster, throw him against some respectable guys, just not guys that, like Cass Williams, you know, like Pereira, you know, give him a couple of fights before we put him back in that caliber of competition. At Bantamweight, we had Song Yudong versus Julio Arce. Song Yudong picked up another knockout victory, and he is someone who has been impressive once again. And Song Yudong is in a really interesting spot where he's got some losses, and but he's still a really talented guy. And I think he's going to stay just outside the rankings of the bantamweight division here. Oh, he's at 15. I'm an idiot. That's my bad. Um, but I still think he needs to fight someone unranked. You know, I don't I don't think right now you throw him in there against anyone above him because those names above him right now in that division need to fight each other, I believe. You could throw him, you know, Song Yudong wouldn't be a bad matchup if Sean O'Malley wins. Um... You know, he already fought Casey Kenny, maybe a Ronnie Barcelos, maybe a Brian Kelleher. You know, if Yanez picks up a win, um, does he fight this weekend? Yanez is fighting soon. Um, if Yanez picks up a win, yes, Yanez is fighting this weekend. If Yanez picks up a win, that would be a tremendous fight. You've got Saeed Nurmagomedov, Jack Shore, right? There's a lot of good fighters at this 135-pound division. Um, Umar. Nurmagomedov, um, you know, there's a lot of good fighters at this 135-pound division, and I think that you could go a lot of ways with Song Yudong. I'd like to see him against someone who is a bright prospect. I think Song Yudong would be a good litmus test for someone working their way into those rankings. And then you've got Joel Alvarez, who put on a Great performance against Thiago Moises. And he, that's the type of win that you need at 155 pounds to get you some respect, right? Because there is so many good fighters at 155 pounds. And, you know, you can't just be talented. You have to be talented. And then you have to put on great performances against a tremendous fighter, a very talented fighter like Moises. You know, you've got your Moises, your Drew Dober. Your, you know, your guys like that who aren't, you know, Moises was ranked. He's going to be unranked now. But, you know, you or your Bobby Greens, you know, your ally Quintas, where there's a lot of tremendous ranked fighters. And frankly, if you want to get in those rankings, you have to put on a tremendous performance against some really, really strong fighters. Um, and like I've said for a long time, the 155 pound division might be the deepest division. Um, in between 135, 145, and 155, I don't really like splitting hairs. We were just talking about the 135-pound division and all the talent it has. And 155 is, you know, a tremendous division. Joel Alvarez has really, um, really put a stamp on, you know, his path to these rankings. You know, once you get ranked, you have a lot more, you know, you have a lot more options. Getting to those rankings sometimes can be the most difficult part. 
and it's Monday today, so the, the new rankings haven't been updated. And I'm interested to see who's going to take that 15 slot in those lightweight rankings, um, whether it be Joel Alvarez. Is it going to be Demir Izmogulov, who um, has a win over Moises and Joel, Joel Alvarez? Is it going to be uh, Matez Gamera? Is it going to be, you know, it probably won't be Drew Dober. Is it going to, you know... There's a lot. Is it going to be Bobby Green, who just put on a great performance? You know, is it going to be Guram, Kutseladze? You know, there's a lot, a lot of really strong competition. Um, you know, you've got your your Grant Dawson's, who's got one loss. You've got your um, Mark Madsen's, who's undefeated. So there is so much talent running around. And those guys aren't even really sniffing the rankings quite yet. You know, there's still a lot of guys that I've named before them that are in great spots. You've got Nazrat, who a lot of people really like, but is coming off a loss. There's a lot of talent at 155. Mark Casey, you know, is a tremendous fighter. I know he's not, doesn't have a lot of wins, you know, as of late, but you can't, you know, the talent is obvious. Ottoman, Azatir, you know, there is a lot of good things happening at 155 pounds right now. And Uros Medic, well, he's got a loss, but um, he was in a really good spot before that. So, like like always, like always, if it's a lightweight fight, it's going to be two talented guys. And I think Joel Alvarez kind of got went on a little bit of a rant there, but he's putting himself in a very strong position moving forward. The last fight we're going to talk about on Rodriguez versus Holloway is Cynthia Calvillo versus Andrea Lee. Andrea Lee, you know, gets a probably the best win of her career. What is next for her moving forward? You know, regardless of, you know, if she can beat Valentina Shevchenko, you know, Cynthia Calvillo was the highest ranked fighter to not fight Shevchenko. Um, Andrea Lee was sitting at 12, goes out there and gets a finish. So it'll be interesting to see how high she moves up in those rankings. I think Vivian Arjuno could make sense. You've got Jennifer Maya, Lauren Murphy, um, Joanne, no longer Joanne Calderwood. Now it's just Joanne Wood because she married a guy with the last name Wood. Um, so Joanne Wood is fighting this weekend. So I think she's going to have a lot to say over that night, next title fight, especially if she can get a win. Um, you know, maybe you do Joanne Wood if she wins or Talia Santos versus Andrea Lee. Um, we'll get some more clarity on that division after this week, I think. Now we are going to get started on the news section. And the biggest piece of news that we had over the last week was that Jorge Masvidal is out of his fight with Leon Edwards. Now, um, there are a lot of questions here about what is going to happen at 170, and we have some answers to some of those questions, so we're going to start with that. Uh, the first thing is we've got Bilal Muhammad is going to take on Wonderboy. Now, the more booked fights we get in this division, the more answers we get. Um, I wouldn't have been surprised if Wonderboy would have stepped up and fought Leon Edwards. And I also wouldn't have been surprised if Bilal Muhammad uh, took on Hazmat Chimaev. So those two are going to go up against one another. And 
We'll see how that plays out, but that takes away two possible um, fighters that could fight Leon or Hazmat. Now, um, with that Hazmat question of who's Hazmat going to fight, it looks like we're getting an answer. Now, this fight is not booked. This fight is being talked about, and Gilbert Burns is down. So I met, oh, well. Spoiled the surprise there. Um, the UFC is looking at booking Gilbert, Bur- Gilbert Burns versus Hazmat Chumayev. First of all, um, Gilbert Burns said he was down, and I imagine that is all that needs to happen. This is, you know, a fight that would put Hazmat Chumayev one win away from a title fight. So I think that this is, you know, something an opportunity that he would not deny so I imagine that this fight is going to get booked I don't think if Gilbert said he was down and Hazmat did not say he was down but I imagine he's not going to get a better opportunity right now so he'll probably take that fight now those were two guys who were on the short list to fill in to fight Leon Edwards on December 11th so that leaves us with the question of who is Leon going to fight on December 11th? And I think the answer to that is going to be nobody. With what we've got right now, they're, you know, looking at the rankings, Leon Edwards is number three. If Gilbert fight, if Gilbert fights Hamza, that takes him out. And Colby's number one. So that fight isn't going to happen. Wonderboy at five is booked. Kiesa at six fights this weekend. So if he gets a win and, and calls him out, maybe we could see that. We'll talk about that if that happens uh, next week. Um, and then you've got Jorge at seven. That fight's obviously not going to happen. And no way Leon Edwards accepts Neil Magny, who's eight, or anyone below him. And that leaves us with one name. That one name being Vicente Luque. Now, would Vicente Luque accept the fight against Leon Edwards on one month on one? month's notice is the question now what's the answer I'm not sure because Luke cut to 170 about three weeks ago it was he was the backup for Covington and Usman but there has been rumors about a Luke versus Nate Diaz fight that was supposed to happen in December So, has he been training for a December fight already? That is a possibility. However, would Vicente Luque um, risk his opportunity to fight Nate Diaz so that he could fight Leon Edwards? You know, we're unclear on that. So, I wouldn't be surprised if Leon Edwards ends up not fighting on December 11th and we see him, you know, possibly get a title shot. Um... The date for this Gilbert Burns and Hazmat Chumayev fight has not been announced. So if that happens in December, they could steal this title fight away from um, Leon Edwards. So we're really just going to have to wait and see how that plays out. But that's kind of a look into where we're currently at in the welterweight division and who will be fighting for that belt next. And outside of the welterweight division, we had one Big fight announcement, which was Diego Fajera versus Matez Gamrat. Now, if you don't know who Matez Gamrat is, Gamrat is one of the top prospects at 155 pounds. 
and we already talked, it's tough to break into those rankings at 155 pounds, and he is getting a great opportunity here against Diego Fajeda, who is currently ranked number 11, and this is going to be an interesting fight here. Uh, this is a very, very strong matchup, and Diego Fajeda, respect to him, because he has fought some very, very tough competition. His most recent fights have been against Dariush and Gregor Gillespie, so tripling down there and taking on Gamrat is no easy task, so respect for, to him for his willingness to pretty much fight whoever. Now, moving on, we are going to look forward to next week's fight card, which is headlined by Ketlin Vieira versus Misha Tate. Uh, Ketlin Vieira is currently ranked at the number seven spot in the women's bantamweight rankings. And Misha Tate is unranked, I believe. Yep. Oh, Misha Tate's at eight. Nice. Um, this is a really interesting fight because... If Misha Tate can win this fight, I imagine she's only one fight away from a title shot. Um, Misha Tate's probably someone the UFC is pushing to Amanda Nunes as quick as possible. That is probably the biggest fight you can make for Amanda Nunes outside of the Shevchenko fight. And there's a lot of questions and a lot of hurdles to jump for you to get Shevchenko versus Nunes. And Misha Tate... I think she's going to be on a fast track to the title here. So if she can get a win, she will probably, um, you know, have to fight a, someone like Aldana or like an Aspen Ladd or a Holly Holm and, you know, get that title shot if she can string two more wins together. So this is a very impactful fight in that women 135-pound division. And... I'm leaning Misha Tate here. Ketlin Vieira is very talented, but I think the experience of Misha Tate is going to push her forward. Um, so that's my prediction, Misha Tate by decision. Now, in the co-main event, we have Michael Chiesa versus Sean Brady. Sean Brady is one, uh, probably the number one prospect at welterweight right now. And for Michael Chiesa to take that chance um, when he has the number six spot, next to his name, when he could have fought a lot of guys, um, you know, he could have fought Neil Magny, he could have fought Bilal Muhammad, instead he's taking that risk of fighting Sean Brady. Now, this is probably the, is going to be, you know, this is a fight that is going to be very interesting, because Michael Chiesa is a proven veteran at welterweight, while Sean Brady is someone who has a very interesting skill set and could provide Michael Chiesa a lot of challenges. And if Sean Brady can get a win here, you know, he's going to be on a fast track in this welterweight division. And getting a lot of prospects at welterweight is very important right now. Um, whether that be Hazmat Shumayev, whether that be Sean Brady, whether that be some of the welterweights that we spoke about earlier, um, Usman is really running out of title challengers right now, you know. He's beat the majority of these guys, you know. He hasn't beaten Vicente Luque, um, but he hasn't really, you know, he's probably a win away from a title shot. Leon Edwards, he beat once. That was a long time ago. So right now, if if Usman gets two more wins, and those wins are against 
Edwards and Luke, then you know this division isn't going to provide much for him. So if we can get some guys like Sean Brady, like Hazmat Chumayev up in the up in the top five, this division is going to be in a really strong place, and Usman is going to have the ability to take out um, the next generation of Walter Waits, which is something that in the long term really helps you achieve GOAT status, which is something that I believe Usman is looking for. So whenever Sean Brady fights, whenever Hazmat Chumaya fights, uh, make sure you're watching because those are going to be impactful, whether that be now or whether that be uh, several years down the road. Now, we also have Ronnie Yanha versus Kung Hu Kang um, this weekend. Ronnie Yanha is always an interesting fighter to watch. Um, and in this fight, I'll probably lean his way by submission. Also on the main card, we talked about this not too long ago. We've got Joanne Wood versus Talia Santos. Joanne Wood is someone who I really like in this division. I think she's a little underrated. And she's put on some good performances, but uh, Talia Santos is also a very impressive fighter who has got three wins in a row against some, you know, some good competition. So this is also, as much as this fight card doesn't have, you know, massive names, um, we've got three really, really important fights that are going to play a role in some championship bouts in the near future so i think this is another one and right now i'm leaning joanne calderwood um by decision but i would not be surprised if talia santos can go out there and get a win next up on the card we've got adrian yanez versus davy grant adrian nanez adrian yanez excuse me is someone a lot of people think really highly of Davy Grant is a big step up in competition for him. Davy Grant is someone with a lot of UFC bouts, a lot of experience. And Yanez, on the other hand, is a little bit fresher in the UFC, but has shown some flashes of a lot of talent, a lot of good striking. So I'm very interested in this fight, and I'm leaning Yanez by KO here. Another prospect, we're going to skip around a little bit, another top prospect on this card, Terrence McKinney, is taking on Ferry Zam. Now, McKinney, like Yanez, doesn't have an incredible amount of experience, but has shown some really strong flashes. Um, you know, anytime you get a six-second knockout, uh, you're going to be looked at very highly uh, as your career moves forward. And even... If you look at the three, the two lo three losses on McKinney's record, he's got losses to Sean Woodson on the Contender Series. He's got a loss to Derek Minner in uh, regional MMA, and the other one came a while back. So Sean Mc or Terrence McKinney, you know, he's on a four-fight win streak against some. You know, I'm not going to say they're great opponents. But for the level he was at, those are some strong names. Um, and I think that he is going to be able to find a knockout here as well. And he is another one of those guys at the 155-pound division who, um, you know, are working their way up to the rankings. He's a little bit further back than some of these other guys. But if he can string a couple wins in a row, he's going to be a very interesting fighter at 155 pounds. And that is going to be the last fight that we talk about on 
this fight card. And if you want to hear me do a breakdown on that fight card after it happens, we'll be doing that next week. And until then, this has been the Head Kick KO Podcast. Thank you so much for watching. Make sure you tune in next week and goodbye.